This is Inside the Writer's Head with Kurt Dynan, the Library Foundation of Cincinnati and Hamilton County's 2016-2017 Writer-in-Residence. The Library Foundation's Writer-in-Residence program promotes writing, literacy, and creativity in our community, all while furthering the library's mission of connecting people with the world of ideas and information. Our podcast starts now. This is the Cincinnati Public Library's Writer-in-Residence, Kurt Dynan, with another episode of Inside the Writer's Head. Today I'm talking with Jessica Strasser, author of the fantastic new debut novel, Almost Missed You, out by St. Martin's Press. Jessica's a Pittsburgh native, but now lives here in Cincinnati, where she's an editorial director at Writer's Digest. Welcome, Jessica. Thanks for having me. All right, so first off, I want to publicly uh, say how much I enjoyed Almost Missed You. Uh, I would call it like almost call it a literary suspense novel. I don't know if that's actually a thing. But when my wife asked me what the book was about, um, I had a hard time explaining it in like a tight way. So like all authors are supposed to be able to give kind of like an elevator pitch. So can you tell your uh, can you tell the listeners what almost missed you was about? Yeah, way to put me on the spot. No problem. You're supposed to be able to do this really quickly. <laughs> Um, yes. Yeah, so it is, it's kind of a blend of women's fiction and suspense. It's a book club book is what my publisher calls it. Um, so it's the story of a young family who is on their very first family vacation. And um, the woman is sitting on the beach, um, enjoying her pina colada, um, kind of having some me time. Her husband has taken their three-year-old up to the room for his nap. And when she goes back up to the hotel room, they are gone. Her husband has absconded with her child, and she is completely blindsided. And everyone who knows them is completely blindsided. So it's really the story of how they got to this point and also what happens from there. 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 That that's it. Enough? That's it. No, that's perfect. That's perfect. That's exactly what the book is. Okay, good. Um, opening a book with that scene, as a mother yourself, was that difficult to write that? It was. Yes. I think, well, I mean, difficult and easy, right? It's all too easy to imagine. You're a parent, too, so I'm sure, um, you know, it's all too easy to imagine, you know, a worst case kind of scenario yes. um, with your child. So, um uh, so difficult in the terms, the term that it was in in terms that it was emotional, but easy in that it wasn't too hard to imagine how horrible that would be. And I'm not sure if you remember uh, when we first met. I said I asked you what the book was about, and you were like, "Well, I'm not sure. It's really your thing. It's a little bit girly, and it's about marriage." <laughs> and I mean, it is that. It is that, right? But I mean, it's also it's also a mystery. Um, and, and there are suspense elements in there. In fact, and I thought of this near the end. I mean, I read everything Harlan Coben writes, and I know you interviewed Harlan Coben. I have. And, yeah. and it, there's a lot in common with like a Harlan Coben novel, except it's just probably a little more literary at times. And, and, uh, and it kind of gets into the issues more than his books do. Um, what made you want to write about these like kind of heavy topics to begin with? Well, I think... Um... First of all, yeah, I don't normally go around saying that it's girly, but I did say that to you in the context <laughs> of comparing it to your book. Sure. When we had that conversation, I was purchasing your book at Books by <laughs> and, the Banks. And, and thank you. You're welcome. Um, and yeah, so it's, you know, these teenage boys and their prank wars. And I was thinking, well, gosh, Kurt, I don't know, this might be a little <laughs> bit of a, right. of a leap. But yeah, it's funny. The term women's fiction that they put on um, really these stories that have to do with the more emotional side of things um, 
it's kind of a misnomer. I know I have a lot of male readers. I know a lot of writers categorized that way have a lot of male readers. And in fact, you know, my book has three point of view characters, one of whom is the man in this relationship. So, um, but, uh, but the idea from the book really came from kind of a fascination with the idea of fate and things that are meant to be or not meant to be and not even necessarily my own fascination with fate but just with the fact that we are all so fascinated by it i mean um if you go to a 50th wedding anniversary party people will be asking the couple how they met that's just a thing that we do it's kind of right. ingrained in our culture i mean how i met your mother was a show for how many seasons right. did they drag out the story of how they met and i loved that show but um I'm fascinated by the fact that we all place so much emphasis on that. So I wanted to take a couple who, I got the idea to take a couple who everyone thinks that it was without question meant to be. They have this tangled story of years of near misses and they were sort of ships passing in the night even since childhood when they went to the same summer camp but not on the same weekend. Um, And it was this obscure summer camp that was only open for one year. And so, you know, just without question, people meet this couple and they think, oh, it's completely meant to be. And I wanted to take a couple like that and then call the entire thing into question. Um, You know, was this story what everyone thought it was? And was it even what the characters involved in this relationship thought that it was? So kind of started playing with that idea and the rest evolved from there. Kind of fell into place. Mm -hmm. Well, for a book kind of centered around marriage and secrets and whatnot. I'm wondering, because this is the way my spouse reads things, <laughs> was your husband like, what are you hiding? Or, or like, what do you have to tell me? No, but the opposite. He has been getting a lot of flack, I think, for this book. Because, you know, in the book, it's the husband who who takes off with sure. the child. And complete, he probably has, he has more secrets than anyone in the book, even though they all have secrets. And so, um, yes, we actually... We switched pediatricians uh, last year, and, you know, you want to make a, a good impression on your pediatrician <laughs> and show them that, that you can care for your child and you're a good parent and you're trying. And he went to our first uh, visit, and the doctor was asking, what do you do and what does your wife do? And he, he said, my wife is a writer. And he said, well, what's her book about? And my husband told the pediatrician, and he said, well, what does that say about you? <laughs> And my husband came home and told me this, and I was like, oh, my goodness, that's that's horrible. You haven't been getting that from anyone else, have you? And he said, yes, I get it all the time. And I had no idea. So he was good-natured enough to, without complaint, just kind of take the, the questioning and brush it aside. But he knows it's all – he knows it's fiction. Supposedly. All right, so <laughs> the story itself is told non-chronologically. Yes. Um, you know, characters – you know, sometimes jump years at a time forward and backward, hence the definition of chronological. But um, <laughs> it's done really well because there's a clear logic as to how you have placed those chapters. Mm-hmm. And and just as a writer myself and, and, a, and somebody who plots and outlines, did you plot this out or, or did no. you just kind of write it and then go, OK, I need to fix all of this later? Yeah, plotting it out would have been um, that would have been handy. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been helpful. Right. Um, no, I don't. I think I don't think about stories chronologically because I'm not a plotter. So um, I would write uh, really whatever was most vivid to me, even if I didn't think it came next. 
um, even in the the manuscript as I was writing it. Right. Whatever was most vivid to me, I would write that. So not only is the story out of order, but I even wrote that out of order, out of order. And then, yes, at revision, I really fixing it had to do with paying attention to um, when the reveals of certain key information happen to the reader, like keeping track of when characters found out key information and also when the reader was finding those things out. Because sometimes the reader would know something that the character didn't know. Sometimes the characters would know something that the reader didn't know. So keeping track of the reveals on my outline was what helped me um, get the revision okay. into shape. Yeah, I, I actually used your book as an example at the workshop the other day for, for uh, using suspense which is just have two characters. This is a good writing tip, right? Have two characters talk about something that they understand. Right. <laughs> that the reader doesn't, right? So you have the the two people. It's Claire and what's his name? Finn. Uh, Finn. Yeah. You know, it's like, you don't want me to tell your husband, right? Right. And, and she's like, you would never. You know, and you do that. And it's a great way to build suspense throughout the whole thing. Um, well, thanks. And I loved that. I loved that about it. Right? I was like, well, what is what what happened? <laughs> um, you wrote on your acknowledgments page that you contacted the FBI for help. Uh, what can you tell me about that? It, so she was a retired FBI oh. agent. So oh. she wasn't. I wasn't exactly calling up the FBI, but I did. <laughs> I cold called a retired FBI agent. I I did most of the research because um, what happens in the book, even though you know it's really. The story of what what's happening to this family it is i mean it's a federal crime parental kidnapping and the fbi does get involved with that so i did a lot of research online uh-huh. up front um if my google search results get out there <laughs> i'm gonna be <laughs> suspected for right. some interesting things so um that's pretty that's pretty grim research to do often those cases do not um end up very well where by which i mean not necessarily that something bad happens to the children, but just that the, the missing parents and the children do not turn up. Right. Um, so I did as much research as I could do online, and it was actually after I had the book contract, I thought, gosh, maybe I should check this with an actual person to make sure I got all of this right. Um, and then I, I cold called a retired special agent and it, who lives in Florida, which is where it t- the crime takes place in uh-huh. the book, and um, she took my call. And so I, I learned a lot more then about then we were working out details such as, you know, at what point since the, the couple was from Cincinnati, but living in Asheville and they were on vacation in Florida when it happened. We worked out details like when would they be allowed to go home? What would they do first if they offered a reward? When would when would that happen? And what would an appropriate punishment for this perhaps be at the end? So kind of ironed out those little factual details which were so important but it is important it is important and the the fbi agents i would say are very minimally involved in the plot but they are there right they have to be there right it's funny you mentioned that because one of the first short stories i sold i contacted an fbi agent about how did that about uh, uh, great um he had written a thing on statistics on missing children and i i had a question and i said i'm a writer blah 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 and he you know, I think most people want to help writers, right? They want to think like, I know a writer. 
That's I've asked a lot of other, you know, you mentioned at Writer's Digest, I have the opportunity to interview a lot of authors, and mm-hmm. I often ask them, you know, how do you get people, especially early on, yeah. if you don't necessarily have a book contract, how do you get people to talk to you? And by and large, the answer has been, I haven't done an enormous amount of research myself, but the answer from other writers has been that people love to yeah. talk to writers about what they do. And um, I mean, maybe if it's government top clearance you might have some yeah. some problems but um but Brad Meltzer actually said that he's had he writes those like political conspiracy thrillers uh-huh. that are so great and uh, but he also writes children's books um and he was saying that um the hardest thing he's ever had to get intel on hasn't been like he's been in secret chambers under like the white house <laughs> and the capitol building but the hardest thing was trying to get intel on disney world huh disney was very very um, <laughs> reluctant. Carl Hyacin has that whole book about how much he hates Disney, right? Which is like all about how <laughs> their secrets and, and how they keep all of that. I haven't read that book. <laughs> but, but he lives in Florida, too. Yes, so perhaps yes. he tried to do some, some research himself. Yeah, he wouldn't be welcome at Disney World. <laughs> if he ever went, he would never be welcome there. <laughs> so you mentioned Writer's Digest. Um, how, did, how long have you been there? Um, I've been editor-in-chief since 2008. Okay, so I mean, like a long time, like almost ten years. What from that experience helped you write this book? Um, a couple of things. I mean, I think really it sort of motivated me to try writing in the first place. I was a journalism major. I went to the Scripps School of Journalism at Ohio University. I made I majored in magazine journalism, and that's what I went into. Um, and it was a pretty straight path. Although I did leave and do some different kinds of editing, book editing, and mm-hmm. I worked, did some editing for marketing and public relations at Xavier for a year. Um, I did some different sorts of jobs, but it was a pretty. I was on a pretty journalistic and editorial path, but. Um, but I've always loved reading fiction and just reading these articles. You know, every article that goes into the magazine, I probably read three or four times. And just right. reading these articles over and over again about interesting fiction techniques you can try and ways to get inspired. And I think if you already have an affinity for novels, it's almost impossible not to want to try it yourself. Sure. Um, and also, you know, as part of my job there, getting to interview these novelists who I've been admiring, you know, my whole adult life has been amazing. And then, um, yeah, I mean, the tips in the magazine, I've discovered myself that it works. Yeah. If you have a work in progress, I think there's there's this debate out there about, you know, can writing be taught or is it this inherent gift? And I think it's probably it's a combination of both. But um, I think a lot of people go about it in a in a very systematic way like now I'm going to read this book on how to write a novel and then I'm going to try to write a novel right I'm going to take this class and then I'm going to write something but actually if you have work in progress I think that is the best time to be reading instruction because you know when I'm on in the middle of my book trying to figure out the rest of my plot and I'm reading an article on how to get unstuck in your plot and there will be something that will make a light bulb go off and I'll want to go home and try it that night and it's so much easier to see how you can apply these techniques. And I don't have the option to stop reading Writer's Digest. No, that's great. I just get writing instruction all day, every day. So, um, yeah, it's kind of like forcing yourself into a nonstop tutorial. It's been nothing but helpful to me. I'm very grateful. And probably very motivating. Yes. Right. Very motivating. So I would think, I mean, 
you've interviewed these authors. Now you're doing book festivals and whatnot. Like you've probably met some of your literary heroes. Like, is there anyone you've just gotten you know, like all fangirl about? Uh, it's hard to answer that because I I have interviewed so many uh-huh. of the writers who I who I love, which is amazing. But I would say probably David Sedaris. Uh huh. Um, because um, I think what was so surreal about that, I mean, I love his work, but what was so surreal about that is that it was a phone interview and I listened to David Sedaris audiobooks a lot. Which is the way to do it. Which is the way to do it. And you hear him on the radio and you hear him on NPR. Um, So with other writers, it's like sometimes you don't even know what they're going to sound like. You read their book (laughs) and then you talk to them. But with David Sedaris, it's like you're it's like your radio is talking back to you. Right. Almost, right. You know? It was just kind of this surreal uh, experience to be talking with him on the phone. And then and after the interview, he sent me the loveliest um, handwritten postcard. Aww. And he is actually the only author who's ever done that. And I, I later found out I'm I don't know that he does it with everyone, but mm-hmm. I know that he's done it with other people. I think that that is his um his habit and his process, which is amazingly kind. So you guys are like besties. <laughs> um, no, I haven't talked to him since. That's what you that want, right? But you want to have that. Like, right, right. I know, you yeah. Just, you just want him to live down the street just, from you? Yes, exactly. <laughs> He's just across the pond. Oh, you know? so awesome. <laughs> uh, I know you were contracted for two books with St. Martin's Press. Mm-hmm. So you probably kind of had to juggle both at the same time yes. at one point or another. Was it difficult to shift from one book to another Yes. Very quickly. Like, how did that process work for you? Um, It was difficult. I think um, I really had to learn how to switch back and forth, which is not not an easy thing for me. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I sold the book, um, well, before the book sold, I had I had parted ways with my first agent. I had an earlier novel that went out on submission, but it never sold. And I wrote Almost Missed You while I was slowly collecting rejections for that novel. Rave rejections, my agent called them. <laughs> and so after about 18 months of those rejections, my agent and I parted ways. And then I had this like partially rejected novel, and I had Almost Missed You. And I, I wasn't sure what to do, and I was feeling kind of at a crossroads and kind of discouraged. I have two really small children, and I even had thought about maybe just setting it all aside and taking some time off. Um, But I did end up submitting to another agent, and she said, you know, I I think I can, I really love Almost Missed You, and I think I can sell it. I don't think I can sell this other novel. I think think that you need to let it go if you sign with me. Um, So when I signed with her, I knew I had to put this other novel in the drawer, and I decided I was okay with that. But she said, what else are you working on? I'm going to sell this, and I want to sell this in a two-book deal. And I I had been, like, having going through this, like, turmoil, you know. I was like, I'm not working on any. I'm working on a bottle of gin on my deck right now. I'm not working working on anything. And she was like, well, you better start writing something else. And And I took it to heart, and I literally, like, the next day, started getting together notes on another project that I had in the back of my head. And it was a good thing I did because she sold that book in under two weeks in a preempt in a two book deal. Nice. And so, so I was work. So I was fervently working on the new thing. Um, right up until I got a couple months later, I got my revision letter from my editor on almost missed use. And then I had to stop work on almost missed you for two months, turn that back in, tried to go back to the new novel, pick up where I'd, left off, do that for another six weeks or so. <laughs> then you get the copy edit for Almost Missed You and those pages to review. And so there was a lot of um, starting and stopping. And I had to learn how to 
Um, I think if you don't have a full-time job, you could, um, I'm, I'm not saying it would be easy, but you could probably manage to keep a pen in the well of at right. least two different projects at least a little bit. Um, but since I also have a full-time job and a family, I can do only one other writing-related thing at any given time. So I had to learn how to um, not completely lose the voice of the novel and lose my place basically, because I didn't have time to go back and reread everything from the beginning. Every time I had to go again, I just had to go again. So it was, I'm still learning. I'm, I have that, that one's turned in now and now I'm working on a third and um, I'm still learning. Well, and we should mention the second, the second book is uh, not that I could tell, which is a great title. Like I love that title. Um, And that's out in March of 2018. Yes. What can you tell can you, su- can you summarize that one quickly like you can with <laughs> Almost Missed You? I can summarize it quickly. So Almost Missed You is set here in Cincinnati, and Not That I Could Tell is set in Yellow Springs, yep. which is one of my favorite places nearby. And it's, um, it's about this um, group of neighborhood women, and um, one, of this, one of them um, kind of up and walks out on her life and nobody knows uh, she was in the midst of a divorce and nobody really knows exactly what's going on and there are lots of questions raised about what her life was really like and what her neighbors should or should not have known and if they had known what they even should or would have done so I wanted to write a book that um, dealt with the question of domestic violence, but from a arm's length approach, which I think is the way most people experience it, where it's kind of like, was something going on there? And if there was, what would my responsibility be? So I lost a friend to domestic violence several years ago. So it was something that I wanted to write about, but write about in an accessible way. So hopefully I've done that. How do you feel about that book? I'm, I'm excited for it to come out. Yeah, and it's 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 the first one I wrote under contract, and I feel like I wrote it under a lot of pressure. Duress, yeah. Yes, so um, so yeah, I'm happy that it's I'm happy that it exists. I know I can't wait to read it. <laughs> Thank you. I you know when I went when I run writing workshops, and you kind of brought this up a minute ago. I always talk to people who want to write and can't figure out, like I don't know when, I don't have the time, which isn't true. Like, you know, you've got a full-time job, like you said, and you have a family and you have kids and you want to actually be able to breathe and have fun. So (laughs) what is your writing schedule like? Uh, Yeah, it's getting harder, I will say. Um, My writing schedule had been, um, when I first started pursuing this, um, you know, I I already struggle a little bit with being a working mom. And I think my job takes me away from my children enough. So um, the writing was something I wasn't, I didn't want to take any more hours away from them to do it. So I write when they're asleep. Yeah. I write. And a lot of people are able to do that in the morning. And I kind of wish that I could, um, like you, get it out of the way early in the day and pat myself on the back and go on with my day. But for me, I don't really function in the morning. So it's after they go to bed at night. So um, it used to be maybe I'd put in an hour mm-hmm. after they went to sleep and then join my husband on the couch. But now it's pro- it's definitely... Um, I go in my office after they're asleep and I don't see anyone for the rest of the night. I'm the last one up. And, um, whatever and works for you. Whatever works for me. And occasionally when I'm on a deadline, I, I do have to do some work on weekends and things now. It's not totally realistic to right. keep it all. Right. You know, between the hours of 9 and 11. Plus the kids are 
finding a way to stretch their bedtime later yeah. as they get older. <laughs> They're very skilled in that department. Well, so. and the nice thing is, and you're not at this point yet probably, but when they start like getting in activities, a lot of those activities are great writing time. Yeah. Like when my kids are at practice. Uh huh. They're like, are you going to watch our practice? I'm like, no, I'm not going to watch your practice. <laughs> no, right. I'm like, I brought you here. I'm going to go to your game. I'll be right there, but I'm going to write. Yeah. Like, I do think the good I've, – I've had people tell me it's if you can learn to write at this point when you have young kids, it's a blessing because then you can learn to write through pretty much any distraction. I could see that. Which I do think is um, – I mean, usually they're asleep when I'm writing, but not always. So right. You definitely learn to multitask and not be <laughs> – precious about your routine. Yes. yes. I guess if you're sitting in a lawn chair on the side of the soccer field, that's as good a place as any. Oh, I don't even go outside. I sit in my car like a <laughs> creepy guy with a computer on my lap. Is it a minivan? It is a minivan. Of course it's a <laughs> minivan. I have four kids. It has to be a minivan. I knew it. The entire floor is covered in chot like in rainbow sprinkles <laughs> from ice cream places and like well, really old, terrible french fries from McDonald's because we're terrible parents. <laughs> All right, so now for my standard final question, dinner party. Uh, and I, and I, I always say, painful. I know it is. Uh, you can invite one writer, mm-hmm. one rocker, one actor or actress, and one miscellaneous person. And, but they all have to be living because um, dead people aren't very good at dinner parties. So who, who would you like to invite? Yeah, so for the rocker, I, my dad, if I did not say Mick Jagger, my dad <laughs> would just be, even though he wouldn't be there, just through second degree because my dad I grew up with the stones via my dad and okay. he, he loves the stones more than I will ever love any band <laughs> okay. so he would disown me if I did not say Mick Jagger All right, and I'm I'm guessing that guy has a few good stories right? Pro- oh absolutely yeah so for an actress I'd have to go uh, Meryl Streep okay. just because obviously I mean need I say more right um, and for a writer, you know, it's interesting because I've already had the chance to have conversations with a, with a lot of writers. But, sure. But the writers that I talk with are usually writers who high volumes of people really, mm-hmm. really, really like, um, you know, who is everybody, you know, like want to read an interview with. And so I would love to just have dinner with a writer that I really like. Okay. And the one that comes to mind is her name is Maggie O'Farrell. Okay. And she is an Irish author. And I just love, she used to be a poet and now she's a novelist and you can see the poetry in her prose. I just love her books. And for the fourth person, I feel like it would be irresponsible not to choose someone really intelligent. <laughs> like, I can't even give you a name, but okay. like whoever is the leading expert on climate change, okay. perhaps. That's why I always, I, I always go with Neil deGrasse Tyson. Oh, see? Yeah, he would be good. He would be great. Yeah. He would because be. you have to have somebody and super smart, someone who's going to make you smarter when yes. the meal is over. You'll have some good stories and you'll be smarter. Very nice. Yeah. Is there anything you want to add before we finish up here? Um, just thanks for having me. Sure. This was super fun. Well, thanks, Jessica. Jessica Strasser's fantastic debut, "Almost Missed You," is now out from St. Martin's Press. Check it out and watch for "Not That I Could Tell" coming out in March of 2018. For the Cincinnati Public Library, I'm writer-in-residence Kurt Dynan. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Inside the Writer's Head. 
Inside the Writer's Head podcast is produced by the Public Library of Cincinnati and Hamilton County. It was recorded in the library's makerspace. Use the makerspace yourself at the main library or select branch locations. Special thanks to the Library Foundation for funding the Writer-in-Residence program. Learn more and read the Inside the Writer's Head blog on our website, cincinnatilibrary.org. Subscribe to this podcast so you do not miss future episodes and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening.